we are record. What is this episode twenty five? Junk food supper. 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 Episode twenty five. The world's number one rusty lemurand podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean Byron, joined as always by your other host, Parker Bowman, up in the five five nine. What's going on, Mr. Bowman? Uh, nothing much. I've just been enjoying myself this week doing the old rusty lemurand. It's my favorite fuck style, you know? <laughs> of course, yeah. And in tribute to our, our fallen comrade, Rusty, who, who we miss dearly. I'm sure that you we think do. of him every time you employ that fuck style. Indeed, I do. <laughs> I think about his face. I think about the touch of his skin. His chubby um, little cheeks. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it's exciting that we get to talk about his directorial debut this evening. <laughs> yeah, which sadly maybe his only directorial effort. I'm, I I don't even know. We'll 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 get, dig deep into Rusty Lemerand uh, later on in the show uh, when we review Journey to the Center of the Earth. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, hey, didn't you guys already review that movie? And the answer is yes. We reviewed it probably ten <laughs> times already, but we're doing it again <laughs> because they made another one in the year 1989 that is. Kind of a semi-sequel to Alien from L.A. We'll talk all about it. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Kind of a semi, yeah, a lot of qualifiers on that. But yeah, that is accurate, sort of. It's kind of a movie. <laughs> sort of, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but before that, we'll, we'll have a topic in a minute that is quite exciting, I'm sure. Although, we're, I don't think that we're quite there yet. If I'm, you know, if, I, if I'm looking at the... Uh, the schedule here. I believe we're still in the pre-first segment kind of intro zone of the podcast. This is like yeah. a general chit-chat zone. Yeah. According to my stopwatch, we're still in the general chit-chat zone. Um, so did you... I got an important question to ask you during this. Okay. During this segment. Uh, did you see any movies this week? Well, I did see a movie that is maybe of interest to you. I, I finally... Uh, Took the plunge on that 2017 murder on the Orient Express. Oh, how did you feel about that? I didn't hate it. I was reasonably entertained for a you know couple hours on my couch. What I realized while I was watching that is that I don't like that mystery at all. I, I had seen the 1970s movie. And I think I like this movie better as a movie, like filmmaking wise, but I don't like the mystery. I, like the reveal of that mystery, I think is like the number one, least satisfying conclusion to a mystery that kind of snubs its nose at all of the things that I want a mystery to deliver to me. And maybe that's the point or something, but I just watch it and I'm like, well, that's not a cool whodunit. That's like a really stupid twist in my mind. Yeah, I've never seen the original, and I've never read that story. Um, I think if I had not been so entertained by like the cool costumes and good actors and like cool camera movements throughout the train, like if I was already not into that movie, I would have like hated that ending. But because I was like, I was just going with the whole thing when it got there, I was just like, all right, that's fine, whatever's good. Yeah, there's some nice camera work in there. It is kind of bogged down by some crummy CGI here and there, but I guess that's how you make movies now. Um, 
but yeah, it, it looked decent overall. It, it's just kind of fun to be on a on a train in in a snowy environment and solving a mystery with some you know wacky characters. That's fun. I will say though, like you cast a whole ton of great actors, and then some of these motherfuckers have like one line of dialogue. Like I think Willem Dafoe's in this for what like a minute. You yeah, know? yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, he's in like all of it. Like he's walking through. And he's yeah. like there. He just doesn't have a lot to do. But I mean, I'm cool yeah. with that. I'd rather see Willem Dafoe than not see him. Sure. Yeah, I guess if given the opportunity to see him, I'll I'll take it. But I, I've heard that the next one is going to disappoint me. Yeah, the second one's my least favorite. It's uh, if you didn't like the CG in this, then you probably will have a less good time with the next one because it was filmed during COVID. So there's a lot of a lot of like green screen acting, like a lot of, Hey, we're here in Cairo, but they're not, you know, kind of stuff. So, so you might not like that. I think the third one's the best. Third's my favorite by far. Okay. Well, I, I imagine I'll, I'll get around to it eventually. Yeah. They're fun. I'm glad that somebody's making movies like that still where it's like a real yeah. movie, you know, <laughs> it's exciting. Yeah. Well, instead of just being like an adaptation of, Oh wait, it is an adaptation of an existing property. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a book, though. That's fine, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's not like, they're not like rebooting a TV show from three years ago or anything No, like it's that. not like we've ever seen this on screen before. Well, I I haven't. I mean, that, those, those original movies are for old people. Those were, true. came out 50 years ago, for God's sake. I mean, Did they make man. a haunting in, haunting in Venice back in the day, too? Because there is a Death in the Nile from the 70s that I haven't seen. But I, I yeah. wasn't sure on Haunting in Venice. I don't believe that there is. It's like, I think the book is like really short. It might even be a short story. I think it's like kind of an obscure one. So I I don't think that there was a movie before. Hmm. All right. Well, if it takes three tries to get to an original idea on screen, I'll take it, I guess. That's, that's improvement for Hollywood these days. Well, that's true. Other than that, the uh, the 10 freeway caught on fire and promises to fuck up my commuting for weeks to come, but that's all. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that it's going to take f- like five weeks to get fixed. Yeah, and I, I feel like that's ambitious, man, Like because they were doing road work in my neighborhood just on like the little neighborhood road that my house is on, you know, and they tore up this thing like a fucking year and a half ago, they just ripped up the road, just demolished it. It's down to like craggly rocks, you know, that you got to drive on that are like shooting out little pebbles everywhere you go that are probably like, I don't know, catching cats in the eyes, you know, with, with these pebbles. But then they just sat on it. Like it was dug up for like a fucking year, just sat there. Every time I leave my house, I got to traverse this, harrowing escapade you know i feel like i should be on a dirt bike or something mm-hmm. and then they put it back together and it's worse than it was before like it's all like patchy and weird i'm like what did you and nobody even knows what the hell they did i'm like what, what were you even digging for you guys you're looking for gold under my tar what's going on mm-hmm. um yeah i'm not too familiar with the situation like I, where is like where is this stretch of highway at well it's it's 
directly between me and all of civilization, basically. <laughs> so okay. if I'm to get on the 10 freeway, which is my primary way to get to LA, because I'm like right on the east side of LA, like two exits away from me, I'll be blocked by this uh, this massive fire damage now. So anybody coming in from the east side of LA trying to get into the city or beyond, we're all boned. Oh, no. I'm... Me personally, I'm going to be trying to get in from the east side into the city soon. This is inconveniencing me now. Now it's a real issue. Yeah, you're going to be boned. Well, you might want to, you know, reserve a jetpack now, I would say. <laughs> I think we're just going to have to meet at Disney World instead of me coming into the city. Disneyland. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm not sure if that's <laughs> in my future anytime soon. Uh, it's, it seems too hectic there. I don't know if I can do it in my old age. It was like, it's hard work. I feel like I had my heyday when going to Disneyland was like a reasonable pursuit that you could just kind of, I mean, it used to be, you could make like a last minute decision. Like I got nothing going on this afternoon. I've got an annual pass cause they used to be cheap. They used to be like 65 bucks a year or something. Let me just pop down to Disneyland. It's going to be no sweat. Get a, a giant corn dog, you know, ride the Matterhorn. Mm-hmm. It ain't like that no more, dude. Yeah. I think even in the, like from the first time that I went when we moved down here to like the last time, like even just in like those three years or something, in that three year span, it got like twice as expensive, twice as hard, twice as packed. Uh, like, yeah, it, it just became very difficult to navigate around. Yeah. And it's really put a damper on my corn dog consumption. Those corn dogs are really good. Maybe I will go back one day just for just to get a corn dog or two. Those things are great. Yeah, they're pretty good and they're big. Yeah. I also kind of want to see that Star Wars. Oh, I don't even yeah. like Star Wars and I, I want to see Star Wars land. I've seen the land. So the last time I went there, like Star Wars land was kind of like mostly done, but like the one big ride was not open yet. And so I still haven't seen that but I saw like the Millennium Falcon ride or whatever that they had. It's all right. It's cool. I don't know. I kind of yeah. wish they had just built Tatooine. Yeah. It does seem weird to, yeah, to not do Tatooine or like the Death Star or something like that, like to make it some weird. Yeah. It's, and it's not even like the new movies. It's like in between the original trilogy and the new movies or something like that. So it's like at a time where like, I don't know. Like it just—it means nothing to nobody, the setting that they've created. But I guess maybe that's what makes it good. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But uh, what about your week? Any any interesting events? Any films viewed by you, Mister Bowman? I saw two new films. Oh, one which was very good, and one which was not good at all. Um, was was one of those films the first episode of The Curse starring Nady Filder? No, not yet. Oh. I will be watching that soon. Did you watch it? Is it good? I watched it. We'll talk about it. I don't want to say anything. All right. Yeah, I'm going to be watching it soon. I don't have showtime yet, but I'm. I need to get it for that and for, of course, Twin Peaks: The Return. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it's it's on either. Is it Peacock or Paramount Plus that is combined with Showtime? But one of those two is yeah. also Showtime now. Yeah. 
I think it's Paramount it's Plus. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just real great. Like all these streaming services are just like folding in on themselves. Like Hulu and Disney are combining in the next couple of weeks and those two combined. And yeah, we're just going to be left with two streaming services soon. It's going to be great. It's going to be just like cable. I was scrolling through my Apple TV apps uh, last night and noticed that not only do I still have the HBO Max app installed that says HBO and I'm proudly trying to maintain it, hope it doesn't auto update to the one that just says Max. But I've also still got the old WWE Network app installed on my Apple TV. Kind of proud of uh-huh. that. Yeah. Well, you use a VPN, right? So you can still access the good actual WWE Network where you can like type in things like Mick Foley versus Terry Funk 1988 and get that match. Um, oh, really? I didn't know that was available to me. Yeah, because yeah, that version is still the version that's used in like Europe and um, like Australia and things like that. So if you're using a VPN, you can still get the good WWE network. But yeah, if you're using it on Peacock, it fucking sucks and it's hard to find anything. It's worthless. And you have to watch a bunch of ads. The VPN is not going to get me the original New Jack music though. It might. I'm not sure how that technology works. Yeah. Check this out. But, um, but no, the, the movies I watched were the new David Fincher movie, The Killer. Oh, uh, which is, speaking of original properties, never seen before on screen. Yeah, yeah, that's never been seen on screen before. Um, well, except for the John Woo. It's not based on the same thing. Oh, it's not? I don't think so. I thought is, this was a re- Isn't John Woo a producer on this? Not that I know of. This is based on like a French comic book. I would be very surprised if this had anything to do with John Woo because it is not action packed. Hmm. It's like a very like taut thriller. What the hell? Why did I think this was Woo related? Yeah, it's not. It's not at all. But you yeah, liked it? I liked it quite a bit. Yeah, it's it's very very I don't know. It's like very fin- Finchian, you know, it's like very like methodical and slow and takes its time to do a lot of stuff. There's also a lot of like Hitchcock homages, which I like a great deal. Um, Wait, yeah, so there is a new John Woo, the killer remake coming to Peacock soon. They shot it already in <laughs> France. How strange. This movie okay. also took place in France, partially. Does it really? Yeah. Is this not the same movie then? What the hell is going on? <laughs> How odd. Yeah, no, there was not a single dove flying in slow motion in this movie. So there's no John, John Woo at all. No influence that I could see. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well. Yeah, yeah it's, it's on Netflix now. It's very good. Um, and then I also saw The Marvels, the new Marvel movie that's in theaters and it was not great at all. So is this officially the end of Marvel as we know it? I don't know. Like, I mean, it's it's like, that's like the very like reactionary, like take that's going around the internet is like, Oh, this is Marvel's first bomb. So now it's like officially over, but it's like guardians of the galaxy three, a couple of months ago made a billion dollars a year ago. Dr. Strange two made a billion dollars. Spider-Man three made a billion dollars like last year. Like I, there's been a couple of bombs, but like there's, 
I don't think it's like over for them. All the TV shows suck though. Like that that's over for yeah. sure. And I think they've only got one movie announced for next year, right? It's, it's just Deadpool 3. Yeah, that's true. Which hopefully that gives them time to like get their shit back together. But yeah, it's there's only one movie next year. Everything else has been pushed back like years and years um because of the strikes and covid and stuff. So hopefully they take time to actually write these movies and like care about them, <laughs> like not just crank them out and all that. So uh, we'll see. But yeah, Deadpool seems fun. I like Deadpool. He's a nice character. So we'll see how that goes. But, uh, but yeah, this one was not not good. It was better than the first Captain Marvel for sure, but it's just kind of a boring character. Yeah. Well, sorry uh, your superhero adventure didn't pan out the way that you wanted it to. Yeah, well, I I kind of assumed it wouldn't be great, but so I wasn't heartbroken or anything. But and I was still flying high from the killer, you know. I was like, man, yeah, that killer movie is great. I was just thinking about the killer most of the time in the theater while watching the Marvels, so it worked out. Would you say that Fincher is back now after after that piece of horseshit Mank that he made? <laughs> Mank was pretty bad. Yeah, I would say he's back. But I mean, when you've only made like one bad movie, you're you know. That's that's a good batting average. Finch is still he's still good. I'm not going to hold one bad movie against him. You love Alien Three. Alien Three is pretty good. I mean, if Alien Three is your second worst movie, you're a pretty good director. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, it's, it's spooky. It's a spooky movie. I like that one. Well, do you like segments? <laughs> I love them. Now, if you couldn't tell, that was the transition out of the general chit-chat, into the segment zone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it just feels different in here in this segment zone. Yeah. it's uh, We need like um, like some echo effects or something to let people know when we're in the segment zone. <laughs> in the segment zone. Anything can happen in the segment zone. <laughs> so what kind of... Uh, oh, yeah, I guess I should introduce the segment. This is my... Yeah, what kind of segment yeah. do you have planned for us this week? Well, this segment, uh, because we're celebrating our historic 25th movie on Junk Food Supper, I thought it would be cool to have a look back at movies we talked about previously and create a kind of canon, a a, a, a ranking, an official ranking, an official show ranking of the first 20 movies. Yeah, which I think we'll, we will have to continue to add on to, so... You know, 20 movies from now or 25 movies from now, something like that. We'll we'll rank again. You know, this will not be the last time that we rank. Yeah, got to keep them all ranked. And then by the time we hit a thousand movies, we'll sit down and rank all of them together. Uh, just so that we're official here and everybody knows uh, top to bottom, which of the movies we reviewed are the best to worst, which I think will be very helpful for people. Yeah, I mean... You don't want to just waste time attempting to watch all of the garbage that we subject ourselves to. You, you get a cherry pick for only those those <laughs> choice flicks, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think the way we're going to do this is we've got our rankings of these movies on Letterboxd, our star ratings. And we're going to average them together. My star rating and your star rating. And then that'll kind of give us a good idea of where these movies slot in to the top 20. 
But I think that there's there's wiggle room, right? Like if if yep. the math seems wrong, we can fight about it. Like if uh, well, yeah. if top hat seems like it's too high, we can <laughs> we can whittle it down there a little bit. Well, and there's also the issue of we're going to end up with a bunch of ties, you know, just oh, by yeah. the, the yeah. virtue of there's only two votes going into this, and then we're dividing it by two. A lot of these are going to land at the same exact. I mean, they might all just be 2.5, you know, across the board. So <laughs> we'll see. But that is possible. Yeah, you you rank higher than I do. So our you ranking so? systems, I, I think generally, I, maybe I think, not anymore. Yeah, yeah. Maybe probably. His, probably. Historically, I think that was the the way. But I think because I always bring that up, maybe you're a little self conscious about it. So maybe your vote, your rankings. I've noticed you ranking things a little bit lower these days. Not I've, just I've, show stuff, yeah. but things in general. I think that is kind of peer pressure, not not just from you, but from like the letterbox community as a whole. Like I feel like my concept of ranking doesn't always line up with everybody else. Honestly, I, I wish Letterbox had a 100% scoring system rather than a five-star scoring system. Five stars is not a lot of wiggle room, if you ask me. And like, when I think about a four-star movie, to me that indicates 80% of the stars, that's a B minus. So like, that's not a great rating, a four-star. Um, but I've, I've tried to kind of split the difference between that thinking and what is maybe the more predominant thinking which is most people i think think four stars is great and then five stars is like damn near you know un- unobtainable yeah that's how i do it my my thinking is that two and a half stars is like a perfectly reasonable film that i am not mad about watching but that i was not thrilled about watching and then everything goes on whatever side of that but let me ask you this. If it was a 100% system, would you rank a 2.5 star movie 50%? You wouldn't do that, right? Um, I don't know. It seems odd. Because like then, I mean, it seems like you, if it was on a 100 point scale, it seems like you would have to do it like in school. Like a, yeah. like a, a movie that is now getting 2.5 stars would in that system have to get like 60%, like a passing grade. Yeah, so. that's kind of how I view this. It's yeah. like passing grade. You get a three star. That's a movie that I don't. I wouldn't say that I like, but I wouldn't say that I dislike. Is three star. Okay. But that's just me. Yeah. All right. So yeah, maybe we're not too far off then. But um, yes, yeah, so like yeah, let's start start ranking these. Let's start figuring out the averages and putting them on on the list. Yeah. yeah. So the the first movie I guess was was Breaking Two, the Electric Boogaloo, right? That was the very first one, yeah. Man, seems like forever ago that we were popping and locking there on the, the Venice Beach boardwalk with mm-hmm. our friends. What are their names? Turbo Boogaloo Gary Shrimp. and Ozone. Yeah, Boogaloo Shrimp. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they played Turbo and Ozone, and of course, Kelly. That's right. Yeah, well, this is... I, I picked this movie, so I'll, I'll tell you my ranking first, but uh, it's, it's 4.5. I love this movie. I think it's great. It does everything it sets out to do, which is to just have fun. Yeah. It perfectly it's achieves a, its goal. It's a lot of fun. It's got those fun shots, you know, in like East LA, probably nearby where the 10 freeway melted down recently. Um, you know, it's kind mm-hmm. of a it's a, a look back into a simpler time before Ten Freeway melted down. Um, I gave it a four. 
I like this movie. I think it's a lot of fun. Delivers on its funness. Okay. Nice. So we'll we'll do the math here, and then like once we've done them all, then we'll start yeah. spitting them back out. So Is that how this on works? average, four and a four point five. You're looking at a four point two five average right now. Okay, that's pretty good. Pretty good for breaking two. Not too bad. Yeah, I'm willing to bet that's going to be the best canon movie we ever talk about on this show, at least uh, <laughs> up to <laughs> to this yeah. very day. At least on this list. Mm-hmm. After that would be I'm from Hollywood, right? The uh, yep. the Andy Kaufman documentary um, that I I mean, it's hard for me to rate this anything less than five. This was such a monumental part of my you know teenage years, and I still think it's a lot of fun to watch. I will say this last time that we watched it, I could kind of see the cracks in the veneer a little more than maybe I did when I was a teenager. The Robin Williams stuff felt kind of forced and, and like too jokey. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, I mean, it's so fucking fun and great and, and I love it so much. I, even if it's not perfect, I give it a five. Well, yeah, I've got it at 4.5. So I basically feel the same way. I think it's just tremendous. Just a, a dude doing pure, beautiful art and also and, getting a boner while doing it. <laughs> and that lands it at 4.75. Okay. It's in the lead. Yeah. I imagine it might stay there. Um, it's going to be tough to beat. So then we got Ready to Rumble, the wrestling movie with... David Arquette and Scott Kahn. Uh, this movie sucks. Uh, I gave it 1.5 stars. I think you're being very unfair to this movie. It's clearly a two-star movie. <laughs> My mistake. <laughs> Sometimes I get that on Letterboxd where like, I'll rate a movie like 1.5 stars and somebody will be like, man, you're way off base about this movie. I can't believe how wrong your review is. You suck. And then I'll look at their review and it's like two stars. And it's like, well... We like it about the fucking same. Like, what the <laughs> yeah. fuck? Well, we like it in aggregate 1.75 stars. Okay. But how do we like Repossessed, which we did after that? That's the Leslie Nielsen pre-Dracula dead and loving it horror spoof of The Exorcist that is not funny at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Despite, you know, me really wanting this to be funny. And honestly, if they had just even given me a little bit, it would have went a long way for me. Like, I, I'm ready to, to forgive a lot from Repossessed, but I I just found almost nothing to latch on to, so I, I gave it a two. Okay. Yeah, I gave it one and a half. Um. It was pretty bad. Apparently it has a very similar plot to the new Exorcist movie. Like there's a joke in Repossessed where like all these different religious figures come together to do an exorcism on Linda Blair. You know, like you've got like a witch doctor and a rabbi and a priest and all this stuff. And apparently that happens in the new Exorcist. But for real, like they're trying to make it dramatic. And that sounds very silly to me. (laughs) Maybe they were big fans. Could be. The the only fans. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the next movie we did uh, with Hatless Jackson, he came on the show to talk about this. Uh, it's Batman Mask of the Phantasm. 
1993 animated movie that many people say is the best Batman movie uh, ever. I'm not one of them, but I do like no, this. That's, that's a, a weird take. That's a real try hard. I'm trying to be interesting kind of a take. Could be. I, I, uh, it's it's a large segment of the Batman community. Maybe not a large segment, but it's a segment for sure of the Batman community that feels that way. We all know the best Batman is the 1940s black and white serial <laughs> version where Batman's wearing a dime store costume. We all know this. I agree. Um, but I gave this movie four stars nonetheless. I gave it 3.5. You know, I, I liked uh, I liked the animation, but I also, at the same time, was not sure if it really, for me, fit Batman's style. Kind of looked like what I want Superman to look like more than Batman. Yeah, yeah, that's understandable. You said what, though? You said four? I said four. Okay, so it's at 3.75. Nice. Um, after that, we did Shrek Retold. You know, that was the version of Shrek where every three seconds it would change animation styles dramatically, uh, sometimes into styles that looked like they were devised and developed by very talented artists. Other times it would flip into a style that looks like it was scrawled in the margins of a newspaper, you know, in a delivery truck or something. Just Mm -hmm. real garbage. Um, But I loved it. Um... It's such a weird experience. I think it's very of its time, you know, and kind of of now still. I think we're still kind of in the Shrek retold era. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not the only animated uh, or reanimated movie that we've done on the junk food dinner slash supper feed. But I guess Night of the Living Dead reanimated was on dinner, so... Yeah, yeah I, I love this. I, I, I gave it five, which is probably controversial, but my love for it is deep. I do think that's controversial. Um, I liked it. Um, it's interesting. The quality's bad, and I don't understand the Internet's obsession with Shrek. Um, I think <laughs> that you, I would like but the But you robot. do understand the Minions. I do understand the Minions. I would love to see Minions retold. I think that would be great. <laughs> I feel like um, that's that's inevitable, right? That would be the next logical step. I think so. Um, although there is a Shrek 2 retold coming out soon, if it's not already out. Um, but, yeah, I gave it three. I, it's interesting, but I, I didn't enjoy it that much. You said you gave it five? So you... <laughs> You're a jokester. All right, so that's an <laughs> average score of four. Not too bad for old Shrek. Yep. Uh, the next movie we did, uh, which continued anime, uh, was The Aqua Teen Hunger Force Forever Plantasm, the new Aqua Teen movie that came out last year uh, that started the reboot. I think there's a new season out now that I haven't watched. Um, this movie was fine. I gave it three stars. It was okay. It was, I mean, anytime Aqua Teens are on TV, it's good, but... This wasn't great compared to other Aqua Teen stuff. Well, congratulations. That is the first time that we've matched. Ding, ding, ding. I also have a <laughs> three for an average of three. I don't okay. remember anything in this movie. I just remember I watched it. It didn't piss me off, I don't think. <laughs> I don't but I also barely remember anything about yeah. it. 
Uh, after that, though, a movie that I do remember pretty well, Badlands. Uh, you know, inspiration for one of your favorite podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, probably inspiration for a number of your favorite movies, if we looked into it. Uh, just a, a seminal uh, spree killing movie. You know, we, we wouldn't have your natural born killers without your Badlands. And for that and for it's just kind of odd beauty despite it being so grim I love this movie I gave it a 5 yeah uh, I like this movie a lot the score is great uh, True Romance one of my favorite movies ever stole it um, and I respect that I gave it a 4 um, I liked it a lot I think it's a very good movie but it was like it's a little impenetrable I might like I mean I, I probably will like it if I watch it a second time but it's it's a very cold movie. It's hard to get into on your first watch, perhaps, but uh, but still very good. Four is a very good rating for me, personally. Yeah, and four and a half is a pretty good average. Yeah. Uh, speaking of four and a half, that's what I gave to Don't Look Now, which is that uh, beautiful, haunting uh, Donald Sutherland movie directed by Nicholas Rogue um, that takes place in Venice and is about a man obsessing over his dead daughter. Uh, I love this movie. I think it's beautiful. Every time I watch it, I like it more. I'll probably end up rating it five stars one day in the future. Uh, it's, it haunts me. It haunts my dreams. Well, but you know, much like your opinion of Badlands, I feel like my opinion of Don't Look Now might improve on a on a second watch. But the first time I watched it, I was a little bit underwhelmed. I, I did like it, but. Maybe it had just been hyped up a, a little bit too much for me. Um, I ended up rating it 3.5. Okay. That's a good score. That's a good score. Yeah. I'm not mad at that. But after that, we had Top Hat. We all love Top Hat. This is <laughs> one of the best from Fred and Ginger, uh, an on-screen duo that this on-screen duo, Bowman and I, are just, you know wild about both of us mm-hmm. um i mean I, I know that you didn't love it hopefully you didn't go too low on it i gave it a five fred's my guy i love that guy Wait, mm-hmm. where did this um, land not too low at all i gave it a three uh i like it wasn't to my taste completely but i you know, Fred Astaire is kind of a nerdy fellow. I like my guys to have a little bit more muscles, as as we'll talk about in the next movie. Um, but, but yeah, I, I know, it was fun. There's some cute parts. There's some good... Like, that finale was good, if I remember. Um, there's some good musical numbers and stuff. So, three. I gave it three. I like it. Yeah. You, I mean, you got to respect the, the tap dance prowess of these two, if nothing else, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but the next movie had a lot, so many muscles, so many muscles. Step Up All In, uh, which I think is the fifth Step Up movie, and the, I feel like the most accessible, maybe. Um, maybe the one with the best dancing. I'm not sure why I picked it over two. Two is, I think, pretty universally beloved as the best one, but, uh, so maybe I made a mistake there. But uh, I liked the Las Vegas setting. And I thought that you would like the roller coaster tap dancing scene. That's basically why I picked it, just so you could watch that scene. But uh, but I give this movie four. I love these movies. Uh, I'm I'm just a a sucker for Twitch and his dance moves. So uh, what did you give it? 
I gave it a one. This was my oh least my favorite God. movie of all the JFS movies that we've done so far. Um, I liked that little, what was it called? Was it called Breakdance? Like the kind of carnival ride that they were dancing on top of? I liked the ride. It looked cool. But these motherfuckers barely danced. Like, th- these guys got to go back and watch Top Hat, learn about some real tap dancing prowess. <laughs> Instead of just, I don't know, they're like out there shaking their hips and winking at camera. I don't know. I don't know how these kids are dancing. They're doing a lot of good dancing. These are these are great dancers. You said what what rating was yours here? No, I gave it a four. You gave it a four. <clears throat> okay. Sitting at 2.5. It's not looking Man. so good for Step Up All In. It's currently the lowest rated. Well, I can't imagine that old stay with some of the ratings I've given coming up but <laughs> yeah you've been positive so far for most of this stuff you know yeah. it seems like we've had a good run here in the first uh, 10-ish movies yeah yeah will it and continue things, yeah things you... went from good to great right <laughs> absolutely um, yeah so yeah the, the next movie I believe was one of your picks though so I'll let you introduce it well, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Yeah. Which is, I mean, if if you rate this lower than five stars, I think you're a goddamn maniac. So you I, tell me, how you feeling, punk? Are you a goddamn maniac? Well, I do want to say, recently, Martin Scorsese went on record as saying that the movie Birdman is better than this movie. Are you serious? Me, yeah, which makes me not ever want to see any of his movies ever again. <laughs> Wow. A totally is, insane man. He says guy. weird things lately. Yeah. Um, yeah, I gave it 4.5. I like this movie a great deal. Um, That's insane. So, you are a it's maniac. A, it's a little long. It's a little long in the tooth. No, no, no. It could be six hours. It's never long yeah. enough. <laughs> well, maybe. I don't know. I, I'm certain that when I watch it again, I'll like it more. So... If we had done this exercise six months from now, maybe this would turn out different, but I gave it 4.5. I, I think it's great. I mean, it's totally good. I don't even have very many bad things to say about it, just that it's a little long and that uh, my least favorite out of the good, the bad, and the ugly gets the most screen time, and so that's kind of not great. But um, but that's really, I mean, outside of that, it's like a masterpiece, so. You're saying that Clint Eastwood is your least favorite? No, Tuco is my least favorite. Really? Okay. Yeah. All right. Weird. That's a weird take. Is it a weird take? I don't. I mean, Clint Eastwood's he's, great, and I think he's a fan favorite. Is he? I don't know. He's a little too silly. I mean, he's great. I like him. He's just my least favorite of the three. Well, I think we got to review Once Upon a Time in the West at some point. So I think so. I'll try to make that a reality as soon as we're done journeying to the center of the Earth. <laughs> so Whenever that three years be. from now. Yeah. <laughs> Well, my next movie uh, is another movie I gave four and a half stars. Uh, it's Thief, the Michael Mann movie starring uh, James Caan, where he's a, just a grizzled-ass, middle-aged man with a lot of chest hair, stealing from people. Uh, it's very neon. It basically invented the look of the 80s. It was a 1981 movie just bathed in neon light. It's just beautiful to look at. Uh, you, I remember you liking this, but not as much as me. Yeah, I mean, well, it... It invented the look of the 80s, or did it? I mean, based on some of the feedback that we got after we reviewed it, I think it turned out that a lot of 
the visual style that I might have enjoyed was like added later, like all that like kind of light blue oh, yeah, coloring yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, which that was disappointing when I found that out. I, I never like to hear that a movie has been altered after its original release. I feel like once you put it out there for better or worse, that should be the movie. Uh, you make it really confusing for a consumer of, you know, media to have all these competing versions. But uh, I didn't factor that into my decision. I liked it at the time. I gave it a four. Okay, that's a good so, score. Yeah, 4.25 average. We'll talk about more Michael Mann in the future. He he did invent the look of the 80s, though, even if he George Lucas this one a little bit. Yeah. Well, if you can believe it, we've finally arrived at the first Journey to the Center <laughs> of the Earth movie on this list. Uh, the second that we reviewed, because we had done one uh, over on JFD Prime. Uh, but for the first time, we, we dove under the crust of the Earth. We started swimming through the magma, you know, looking for uh, giant dinosaurs. And this was the 1977 Spanish version that's sometimes called like Where Time Began, I think. Uh, mm -hmm. I like this. I thought it was fun. It's silly. For me, this is kind of what I think of when I think of like JFD movies. Uh, there's a goddamn underground King Kong in this movie for no mm -hmm. reason. There's a <laughs> multitude of clones in a mad science lab underground for no reason. Um, is it a good movie? I guess not, but it is fun. And for me, that's the most important thing. So uh, I gave it four. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't disagree that this is quintessential junk food dinner fare. Um, but it is, it was boring. And considering the fact that I had just watched the same exact movie a week earlier, I was pretty unhappy. So I gave it two and a half. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> That's a 3.25 average. That's way too high for that movie. Um, but then we come to Shin Kamen Rider, uh, the Hideaki Anno film from, from this year. Um, so it will be eligible for our year-end lists. Um, <clears throat> I like this a great deal. He's one of my favorite directors uh, who's working right now. And and I had a lot of fun with this. Kind of a shame. Uh, we brought it up to Kevin, I think, last time we recorded with him. But kind of a shame we did it on Junk Food Supper and not Junk Food Dinner. Because this is 100% a Kevin movie. He would have loved it. And I, me, personally, I gave it four stars. Yeah, I thought this was... A good deal of fun. Uh, I gave it 3.5. Okay, you could have bumped that up a little bit. You're being I, a little do, stingy. I, do, I do feel like I am being stingy on this one, and I don't know why. But that is my actual recorded star ranking. I'm not, you know, I'm not spitballing this in my own favor. Okay, it's a very fun movie. I mean, it was very inventive. It was fun. Work. Yeah, I mean, I I would watch more of them. Okay. We'll watch Shin Ultraman one day. I also kind of like that the title reminds me of ramen. <laughs> yeah. And I like ramen, you know? Yeah, that's understandable. Uh, the next thing that we did was the Journey to the Center of the Earth cartoon film that was Australian in nature. 
think it came out in 78, maybe something like that. I don't remember, but it was, you remember the Australian yeah. Journey to the Center of the Earth cartoon that was completely unremarkable in every way. Uh, and so for me, it landed at a three because I could imagine having watched this as a young child and having been mildly entertained by it. But as an adult, it was just kind of fairly boring, but also not offensively so. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's the most competent adaptation that we'd seen so far, but yeah, at the same sure. time, very boring. Yeah, it was very boring. Um, it didn't have all... Yeah, it was kind of a textbook adaptation, so which worked in its favor in that it had like a familiar structure to where some of the other ones, like Journey... Yeah, like the last one we talked about, like which is going off the rails and barely resembled a movie in some ways. So that, it had that going for it, but it was super boring. I gave it a two and a half, which seems high now in retrospect, but I'll stick with it. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's better than you've given. Repossessed, better than Ready to Rumble. Yeah. I mean, if I asked you tomorrow, I've got three DVDs. You know, Ready to Rumble, Repossessed, and the Journey to the Center of the Earth. Australian TV movie. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're not going for the cartoon. That is 100% true. Yeah, I would much rather watch either of those two movies before this. Yeah. Well, we've come to it. One of your favorite movies of all time, right? Everybody uh, wants some. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that necessarily, but I do I like think, this movie a great deal. I think it's a movie that, that you proclaimed to be the definitive film about baseball. Is what you said. I did say that. This may be my favorite baseball movie. Um, you said, no, I, Ken Burns, burn that documentary that he made about baseball because this is all you need. I did say that. I remember saying that. Um, but yeah, this is the, the Linklater movie. One of the newer ones. Um, just a fun time. Sort of dazed and confused-esque, but set in the 80s and centered around a baseball team instead of a football team. And it's just a breezy, fun watch uh, with some pontificating about Richard Linklater's own career, I think, in some parts. Um, but I liked it a lot. I gave it four and a half stars. Yeah, I thought this was kind of boring. I didn't really connect with these characters. There was no baseball in it. The, the one guy that I liked, that weird stoner kid who was not a kid, he gets you know canned from the movie pretty early on. Um, I don't know. Everybody wants some, but not this guy. What did you give it? I gave it 2.5. Oh my god. You're, you don't even you like a, cinema. A what? A four? Is that what you said? I gave it four and a half. Oh, come on. Accept my suggestion to downgrade it to something more sane. No. No. I'm the one who's sane. Everybody likes this movie. It's a very well-beloved movie. By the way, did you ever try to watch that Ken Burns baseball documentary that you, you shit talk so much? Have you tried uh, to watch that thing? I think I've seen some of it. It is so fucking boring, dude. I've, I've been trying to watch this documentary. Not a joke. I've been trying to watch it for about 10 years. And I'll, <laughs> I'll put in like an hour, hour and a half and be like, this is all I can do for like the next nine months. And then nine months will go by and I'll watch like another hour, hour and a half. That's so fucking hard. And I don't know why I go back to it, except that I like baseball, I guess. But 
man, his fucking documentaries are so bad. Yeah, I tried watching his Dust Bowl one, I think, and I, I, I had to tap out after like 30 minutes. I was like, this is boring. His jazz one is horseshit, too. Anyways. Yeah, that's, that's the one starring Ryan Gosling as the jazz <laughs> exactly. musician. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's all about Swedish jazz musicians in the 1960s or something. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, I guess you should probably introduce this next one. Yeah, this is the week you were off. So me and my wife watched Exploitation at Bill's Above Movie, which we were, it was ghoul summer. We were fully prepared to hate it because we had both seen Bill's Above Movies in the past. And somehow we thought it was kind of fun. Uh, in it, Bill's Above plays himself and it's just like kind of him. It's like a comedy. It's not like a ghoul movie, which we didn't realize. And it's just him kind of making a movie about himself as a filmmaker. And it's kind of kind of breezy fun we found ourselves laughing we sort of enjoyed it we were very drunk at the time so i don't know if that (laughs) had much to do with it uh but i ended up giving it three stars somehow three stars yeah i don't i don't don't even i feel bad qualifying it i gave it three stars i'm i'm owning it i thought it was an enjoyable bills above movie now perhaps the only one did you guys do a commentary for this or was it just a regular review uh, it was a regular review. We watched it, okay. and then we broke out the mics and talked about it afterwards. Okay, good. Because I've, I've seen you on Letterboxd giving numbered rankings or, or n- numbered ratings to movies that you just commentated on, and I feel like, is that watching a movie? I don't know. If you're if you're just yapping the whole time, are you really soaking it in enough to give it a, a real review? Oh, I think so. I mean, if we've watched movies together at your house where like we talk through and we chit chat through i mean i still consider those movies watched don't well, you well what you didn't see was me staying up all night afterwards re-watching <laughs> the movie with a notepad and my bifocals on okay i take That's this stuff true. seriously man my mistake i'll have to do that um i didn't see this so i'm giving it a zero is that fair no, but that's what I'm doing. So it gets a zero. Seems not fair, but okay. Well, that's what Beelzebub deserves. Um, but the next pick, a movie that we all remember watching, because in fact we all did watch it, it's Alien from L.A., which, yes, is a journey to the center of the Earth movie, <laughs> despite its title. Um, and for that reason alone, of course, I love it. Uh, I, I didn't hate this. You know, after this week, I think we've found that there are much lower depths that canon films adaptations of Jules Verne novels can sink to. So in retrospect, this was kind of a masterpiece. But at the time, I was just kind of mildly amused by it and enjoyed looking at Cappy Ireland in high pixels for 90 minutes or whatever. So I I gave it 3.5. 3.5 for this movie. You think I'm um, overselling it? 100. percent Let's see what the average rating is. Just out of curiosity, well, two two point four is the average on Letterboxd, which still seems a little bit high. But it does have two percent of the ratings for this movie are five stars for some somehow. Kathy Ireland fans, I guess. Um, yeah, this movie is an abysmal mess. It's incoherent. Um poorly made and it just skates by on the fact that they had just enough production value to make a cool set um i gave it one star it's it's a chore to watch this film it's hard. it hurts it hurts your eyes damn 
Damn. That Probably, is... I, I think this is my least favorite movie of, of everything we've done so far. Not including least, things that came after this, right? Yeah, just up to the first 20. This is my okay. least favorite. And then the final movie of the first 20 would be the often requested, although I will say met with very little fanfare once we did finally uh, review it, (laughs) Cherry Falls, the movie that one guy was insistent that we do for about a decade when I was too busy trying to watch Ken Burns baseball instead, and then we finally did it. Um, As I mentioned on the review, I saw this in like an overnight movie marathon kind of a setting, and I had never heard anything about it before, and so just that kind of initial shock of being like, oh, there's like a medium-ish budget slasher movie from, you know, late 90s, early 2000s that I had never even fucking heard of. I was kind of, you know, enamored by that surprise. On the rewatch, I didn't love it as much, but I still think it's a pretty fun movie of this type. And if you go back to a lot of these late 90s, early 2000s slashers, they're mostly total horseshit. Like, almost everything that came out after Scream in the wake of Scream is pretty bad. And this one's not. I don't know. Like, it, it had some moments. So 3.5 for me. Um, yeah, I think that this is one of the only movies that came out after Scream that actually, like, took the idea of doing some sort of meta deconstruction of the genre to heart. Um, a lot of them didn't. Like, I know you did last summer didn't, and like urban legend stuff didn't, but this, the premise of this movie is that there's a serial killer killing all the virgins in town, which is an interesting kind of take on the slasher genre where, uh, you know, if, if you have sex, you die, that's generally the rule. So it inverts that, uh, it doesn't do anything with that. It, that's just the premise. And then they ignore it completely for the rest of the 90 minute runtime, essentially. Um, but yeah, it's fine. I mean, it, I think that if the real version of this movie ever comes out with the actual violence and sex in it, then it will probably be a lot better. But this movie got got chopped up and released on cable TV. So it's kind of like a PG rated movie about sex and violence, which you don't want to see. I gave it three stars, though. It's still kind of enjoyable and it's an interesting curiosity. All right. Yeah, I think that's fair. It definitely was. A little bit neutered, you know, but uh, still, still kind of an interesting movie. Um, but I think that is all 20. So we, we do now have an official, uh, you know, subtotal here that we can go through before we come up with our finalized uh, ranking. Okay. Um, I sent you a and link yeah. there. I don't know if you uh, clicked oh. on it. Right, let me take a look. It's a Google Doc we've got here. Yeah. Okay. I tried to open a Yahoo doc, but it said that that's not a thing. <laughs> so which column? The blue columns. The yeah, F there. Okay. All right, so I think mathematically, I'll write this down here. Mathematically, exploitation is at the bottom because you cheated and gave it a zero, even though you didn't see it. Yeah, um, but I, I think that's just, completely fair. I think that you would have easily given this movie half a star if you'd say that. so I, I this is a little rude it's zero you can't even give a movie zero stars on letterboxd what, so what happens if, okay cheating. what happens if i do bump it up okay now it's tied with repossessed and ready to rumble 
okay. at 1.75. In that case, I would still say it's got to be the worst of those three. Okay, that's that's fair. At least we now we've used the math correctly. I'll I'll take it. We can put exploitation at the bottom, even though it's definitely better than repossessed. <laughs> but we'll we'll take in all the rest of Billzebub's um, over uh, his filmography into account here, because yeah, it's bad. So yeah. Um, these next two then 1.75 for ready to rumble and repossessed i think ready to rumble is better than repossessed i agree okay that's easy yeah easy peasy uh 2.25 for alien from la so that's just math that that's next that's number 18 yeah that works for Um, me and then i guess the math says that step up all in is next which that's fine. I mean, yeah, seventeen, or that's yeah. What is that number? Sixteen, seventeen. That's fine. That's cool. I'll take it. I guess it's not. It's not in your wheelhouse. That's the best I can ask for. Uh, then we've got the Journey to the Center of the Earth cartoon with two point seven five stars. Seems very high for that movie. That movie. I really should have rated that lower. I've. I feel bad now. Uh, I messed up. I was being too generous to that movie, but fine. Um, and then we got three stars for Aqua Teen Hunger Force. No other three-star movies, so I guess that it goes, it slots easily into number five. Or 15, rather. Uh, then we've got the 77 Journey to the Center of the Earth and Cherry Falls Tide. I think Cherry Falls is better. I... I kind of disagree. Really? Cherry Cherry Falls has very few underground King Kongs. And Journey has at least one. Does Journey have Jay Moore, though? It has very few characters in drag. So, all right, I'm, I'm willing to extend this generosity here if it's remembered later on when maybe I, I might need some kind of generosity in return. <laughs> All right. Uh, so then we've got 3.5 for both Shin Kamen Rider and Everybody Wants Some, which both of, seems crazy. Crazy that those are ranked so low. Um, I obviously think Everybody Wants Some is better because Richard Linklater is a genius. Well, I mean, both these guys are geniuses. I don't know. I, I guess he... Yeah, yeah. I would go with everybody wants some, but I'm not. I wouldn't fight you if you didn't feel the same way. I mean, we're talking junk food movies. Everybody wants some is like a movie that my mom would watch versus Shin Kamen Rider. We got we got motorcycles. We got a weird bat creature man thing. Plus, it prompted me to look at the wiki for Shin Kamen Rider, and I got to see all these cool costumes from the '70s that are really, you know dime store looking but also kind of fun yeah yeah I gotta push for for my boy Common Rider okay that's fine that's reasonable I suppose out of these two still crazy that both of these are that low uh, 3.75 here at number 10 we got Batman Math, Mask of the Phantasm so he makes it into the top 10 
Hatless will be very happy to hear about that. I mean, if, if I was redoing my rankings, I might try to find a way to kind of bump Shin Kamen Rider up above Mask of the Phantasm, but it's too late. I gave them both 3.5. It's kind of my fault. That is your fault. You should have rated Shin Kamen Rider higher. I probably should have even rated it higher. I rated it four, and that's probably too low. It's a good movie. It's, it's a good movie. It's weird to me that I didn't rate it higher, but I guess I don't know what I'm doing on Letterboxd. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you blow it. I blew it with uh, that journey to the center of the earth cartoon. Sometimes you just get in there when you're ready to click the stars. You just fuck up. Yeah. Um, just like you did with um, Top Hat, <laughs> which apparently you gave a fucking five star rating to. Um, so okay, I think so I, I think you, I think you were right though about like our our strategies on rating here because I gave five five star ratings to movies and I don't think you gave any. Yeah, yeah, none of these stars are five stars for me. So yeah, so yeah, so the way you rate skews skews this a little bit towards towards the movies you like, but that's that's all right. That's how it goes. Um, But yeah, so we've got Shrek retold, Don't Look Now, and Top Hat here. Uh, Don't Look Now is easily the best of these movies. Like, easily. I'm come on, come on, yeah, Sean. No, I, I mean, say, if, if I was rating these, I would go Top Hat, Shrek Retold, and then Don't Look Now. That's insane. You are an insane person. Shrek Retold. Don't Look Now, 3.5 stars versus five for the other two. Five for Shrek Retold? Yeah, it's a five-star movie, man. <laughs> this is they, got, they got Donkey. <laughs> it's got Donkey. This is insane. The way you rate movies, when I... In reading junk food supper movies for now on, I'm going to have to just give every movie an extra star just to be able <laughs> to even this out in some way. Only for, um, your, for your own picks, though. Yeah. Um, or for the ones I like, anyway. Um, Don't Look Now has to go above Shrek. Like, Shrek is a meme. It has to go... I mean, it's better... I think you're going to be making a lot of people in the Discord very unhappy with... <laughs> with what you're saying right now, Sean. Don't look now as a beloved masterpiece. I mean, can we at, at least put Shrek Retold and Top Hat above it? You, you can pick one to put above it. Whichever one you love the most. Just with the difference. <sighs> Sorry, Fred. We gotta go Shrek. Shrek's on top. Well, he, he's got layers, that Shrek. Um, okay, so we got two 4.25s, Thief and Break in two. Both movies I know, I, I know that you love Shrek Retold because it inspired you to pick a, a your own reanimation pick on, on the next JFD. That's true. I mean, I do like the idea. Um, I want to see that Robocop one because that's I think that's the first one that did this and... From what I understand, it's very good. So maybe we should watch that one soon. Yeah, I'd watch it. Uh, what do you think between Thief and Breaking Two? The my heart tells me Breaking Two because I love that movie dearly yeah. have since I was a kid. But Thief, I mean, is obviously like a more well-made movie. So I'll whatever you think. I think it's Breaking Two because I, I think Breaking Two achieves exactly what it's trying to 
achieve. Whereas Thief, I mean, I, I loved a lot about it, but I could point out things where I'm like, this part's a little bit shaky. Yeah. All right. Well, that works. Okay. So now we got the top three. Uh, well, I guess at three, these aren't even tied, all of them. So 4.5, we got Badlands. So it's number three. Works for me. I'm, yeah. Who am I to argue with math? Yeah, the math checks out. Um, so then we've got I'm from Hollywood, the Andy Kaufman story, and the good, the bad, and the ugly tied for, with 4.75. Um, I mean, I would go with Andy Kaufman's movie because I love Andy Kaufman, and I think that without Andy Kaufman, like half of the stuff I like in life would just disappear. You know, like if we, it's a wonderful life, Tim. Uh, like, you know, Jackass would be gone. Tom Green would be gone. Nathan Fielder would be gone. Um, rest, like the Attitude Era would be gone. All these things that I love yeah. would be gone. Uh, probably a, a lot of Letterman's talk show stuff, even the stuff mm. without Andy on it. I feel like a lot of that absurdity probably was inspired by Andy Kaufman. True. Yeah. And then without Letterman, there's no Conan. Um, so yeah, so so much. But on of the what, flip side, I mean, are we saying that the good, the bad, and the ugly is not responsible for any well great works true. of art that probably came after it, directly inspired by it? I mean, our very own segment, the good, the bad, and the weird, <laughs> as we call it these days, and, and sitting here in the you know in the segment zone mm -hmm. where I am currently. I gotta, I gotta give respect to segments, and so I think the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, inspiration for a legendary podcast segment must be recognized. You think it's better? Like, just imagine in your mind Andy Kaufman rolling into Memphis, you know, a packed arena, and telling everybody there that he's better than them because he's from Hollywood. And he has brains, and he has money, and yeah, and he knows how to use soap. <laughs> yeah, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Like it's just—it's ground zero for everything good in the world. Yeah, but it's also the source of endless frustration on my part that to this day I'm still not able to find much uh, footage of those actual matches that he had down there in Memphis. I mean, there's the stuff in the documentary and that's mostly it. And it's kind of a bummer because a lot of that stuff did air on television back then, but much like everything that ever aired on TV, it, it didn't get saved properly, I guess. And so uh, I'm just endlessly frustrated, you know, for all time that I, I'm limited to what's in this documentary and it's what, it's probably 75 minutes long. Well, I, I think that, that that's a good argument for it being a masterpiece. It's like, if you want to see Andy Kaufman doing this stuff, here it is. Here is the only place you can see it. Whereas The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, there's a lot of footage. Like 100% of the footage that was shot for that movie, you can see in the movie. You know, it's all there. Yeah. Whereas I'm from Hollywood, uh, so much of it's gone like sands through an hourglass and and we have this one beautiful documentary to show it what it show us what it was like i think that that makes the movie better 
I don't disagree. And sometimes that's enough to put a segment to bed. And so I think I agree uh, by virtue of exhaustion. Yeah, why not? Why not let Andy Kaufman top the list? That works for me. I like the guy. Okay. Luckily, I mean, this segment is a little long, but luckily we have we will have absolutely nothing to say about the movie here in a minute. So it'll. <laughs> yeah. Um, so okay. So just to run it down, here's the canon, the official canon. We'll probably post this on the website or the Patreon or in the Discord or something too. Uh, the best movie we've ever done. I'm from Hollywood. The Andy Kaufman movie, followed by The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, Badlands, Break Into, Electric Boogaloo, Thief, Shrek Retold, Don't Look Now. Top Hat, Batman Mask of the Phantasm is number 10, rounding out the top 10. Uh, then Shin Kamen Rider, Everybody Wants Some, Cherry Falls, Journey to the Center of the Earth, 1977, Aqua Teen Hunger Force, Phantasm, uh, Plantasm, my mistake. Um, which, that has to be a reference to Mask of the Phantasm, right? Uh, maybe I, it's not. Maybe. I don't know. It's a very famous animated movie. But, um, Journey to the Center of the Earth to Cartoon, Step Up All In, Alien from L.A., Ready to Rumble, Repossessed, and Exploitation. That's it. That's the canon. Official. It's, it's official. Yeah. Can't argue uh, with the math, except for yeah. in the cases where we did. Yep. <laughs> Make your own lists, though. Uh, post those in the Discord. It'll be fun to see other people's lists. Um, so, yeah. All right. It's official. That is official. We'll bronze it. We'll put up a statue in our office. Uh, but uh, we're going to take a... Oh, wait. Actually, we have a voicemail. Oh, we have a voicemail? We've got a voicemail. Here it is. Live from New York, it's Mr. Brian. Brian. Mr. Brian. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian. 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 Junk food supper. What is up, my friend? And happy Halloween. This is Brian calling in New York. Uh, I just wanted to give an update to my voicemail. The last time I called in was like maybe three or four weeks ago. Uh, and I was telling you guys about uh, Hell House LLC was filmed in the county. Rockland County that I live in. Uh, I did some research. The, uh, the movie was actually filmed somewhere in Pennsylvania. I don't have my computer in front of me right now. And uh, so the house that it's based on um, is some house here within my county, but they don't say exactly where. So I have no idea what town it's located in, if it's close, if it's far. I've been searching online everywhere. Um, so a little disappointing as far as the haunted house. Um, it's just an abandoned house, basically in my county, not really haunted. So that the movie was based on. So that's pretty much my update. Um, you know, no good news to report. But uh, love the show as always. Thanks for taking my call. Keep up the excellent work, and uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. Peace. Thank you, Mr. Brian. 
for for your on on the uh, on the streets reporting. I think it's um, on the ground reporting, if you ask me. On the ground reporting, that's probably the correct nomenclature. Which is um, lower than the streets, really. I mean, if if you want to really dig deep, you got to dig under that street, like those motherfuckers did to my neighborhood, mm-hmm. expose those craggly rocks, and that's real on the ground reporting. Then, yeah, that's a good point. If you're doing on the ground reporting, then your streets ahead. But if you're doing on the street reporting, your streets behind. I don't know what that means. Is this a thing now? <laughs> I got to learn streets ahead now. It's the new slang that the kids are using. God damn it. Um, by the kids, I mean uh, a very old character on the show Community. Like a 70-year-old man says it. Okay. All so, right, well then. And, but yeah, streets I, it's, ahead. It's cool to know that I'm less in touch than a 70-year-old man who I'm assuming is Chevy Chase. <laughs> it is Chevy Chase. Well, I think the joke is that he's out of touch, so you're, you're in the green here. Okay. Is that a thing? No, I hope no, so. you're in the red. No, Wait, I'm yeah, on the ground. I'm, you're <laughs> you're on the streets. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Mr. Brian, for being on the streets with us. Um, yeah, he's a hit in the streets and a hit on the voicemail line. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, if you want to be like Mr. Brian and send us some voicemails, do so by calling 347-746-JUNK. That is 347-746-5865. Or go to facebook.com slash junk food dinner and hit the call now button or find us in the discord or do whatever you want. Send us a mail. Send yeah. us a telegram. If you call in with a voicemail, we will play it on the show, but we might also forget to be recording at the time and then have to re-record <laughs> that part of the show. Uh, it's true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but rest assured, uh, we will play it eventually. Yeah. Uh, So now that we are recording, we're going to take a quick break uh, from recording. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Journey to the Center of the Earth for the seventh time. So stick around. Maybe that we can skip recording. incredible adventure awaits a young girl with an unusual job. I'm a nanny to a dog. Well, dogs need care too. And two brothers with a taste for excitement. Together, they will take a journey to a place they never dreamed existed. A journey beneath the surface of the earth. Richard, Justina, and beyond their imaginations. A journey to the center of the earth. Join the journey. Journey to the center of the earth. Welcome back to Junk Food Supper. I was the junk food dinner there. That would have been a, a quite a faux pas. But welcome back to Junk Food Supper. 
the movie that we're reviewing this week on the show is Journey to the Center of the Earth, the 1989 version. This is sort of a sequel to the 1988 film, Alien from L.A., uh, both of which are very loosely based on the original novel by Jules Verne. Uh, There's a bit of background on Wikipedia here that is kind of interesting. So this film uh, marked the directorial debut of one Rusty Lemerand, uh, one of my favorite names in filmmaking history. Is it Lemerande? Probably. Do I like to say Lemerand instead? Absolutely. Um, But this was going to be his directorial debut. He began shooting it in June of 86, shot for about 40 days, and then showed what he had to Golan and Globus at Canon Films, who didn't like what they saw. Um, I guess he had shot some sort of a Christmas-themed opening, because this was going to be opening on Christmas. Uh, But when they missed their release date, that stuff had to be scrapped. And just overall, they didn't like what they saw. And so uh, they booted him. You know, he thought that maybe by showing this footage, they would say, okay, cool, we're going to give you some more money to finish the movie. Uh, But they didn't do that. Instead, they offered the movie to Albert Pune to finish, uh, who came aboard to finish this movie on the condition that he could also film alien from LA at the same time, uh, I guess for under a million bucks. Cause he was going to basically reuse all of the same actors. Um, you know, in some cases in the same roles in some cases in different roles, uh, and all of the same crew and same sets and all this stuff. And, uh, that's what happened, you know? So Albert Pune ended up finishing this movie for rusty Lemerand, um, according to him, Only the first eight minutes of this were actually directed by Old Rusty, um, which is not a whole lot of it. And it's probably before they even get underground, to be honest. Um, And this is what we're left with. Um, A little bit of context on Rusty Lemerand. Uh, He's the guy who wrote the movie Electric Dreams, which stars Harold from Twin Peaks, everybody's favorite Twin Peaks character, uh, Mm -hmm. that I recently saw Electric Dreams and I thought it was kind of interesting. Have you have you seen that movie? I I don't think so. The movie I'm th- thinking of we did on the show, so I'm guessing it's not that since you had never seen it. Yeah, this is the one where a guy like falls in love with a computer. It's kind of like a like a version of her, but from the eighties. Okay. Yeah, I think I have seen that movie. Did we not do that on the show? Maybe we did. I don't Maybe, know. No, I'm thinking of um Something else, maybe. But there were a lot of... Yeah, no, I have not seen this. It's a weird movie that that this guy Rusty wrote. Um, After Electric Dreams, the guy co-wrote and produced Captain EO at Disneyland, you know, starring Michael Jackson. Mm -hmm. And I guess it was Rusty Lemerand who proposed adding physical effects like smoke and strobe lights uh, to the experience. And so... For that reason, people call him the father of 4D. It's kind of exciting, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of disrespectful to the uh, director of that f- movie, 4D Man, you know, from like oh, the 50s. absolutely disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Only the latest in a long line of disrespects paid to that man. So, <laughs> um, But anyways, so that's who Rusty Lemerand is. That's a little bit of context. Let's talk about the plot of this movie. 
which is journey to the center of the earth, but it's a little bit different this time. Um, rather than being centered around a European professor slash gentleman explorer type of a guy, uh, this time our lead will be a young British nanny played by Nicola Coper. Uh, her character's name is Christina, and she gets sent to Hawaii early on in the movie to take care of what I think she thinks at first will be a, a kid. You know, she's going to be a nanny, but she gets there and it's, wouldn't you know it, she's going to be taking care of a heavy metal guy's pet dog. It's kind of interesting, right? I guess so. It's kind of a weird twist for this movie, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess they replaced that that duck or that goose or whatever from the books and some of the movies yeah. from with this cool dog. Sadly, no Gertrude the goose in this movie, but we do have whatever this dog is called. I, I didn't even note the name, but I'm sure he's I'm sure he's got a name. It wouldn't be like this movie to leave out any critical bit of detail <laughs> that would be necessary for your understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, I should note that this heavy metal guy uh, who is named Nimrod is played by Emo Phillips. But I didn't know that when I watched this scene the first time. Uh, doesn't yeah. look like Emo Phillips whatsoever. Uh, despite this coming out the same year as UHF, a movie in which Emo Phillips looks like Emo Phillips. Here, not at all. I did not notice that it was Emo Phillips in this scene, but there is a scene later that I think is like one of the dream sequences yeah, where he's like off in the background and he like waves and like yeah. that's it. Like he doesn't even say anything. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I saw him there, but yeah, despite the fact that he's in this movie for five seconds and does not talk, uh, he is top build. Yeah. He's, so. uh, he's top build. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's one of many interesting choices in the billing. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyhow, so, you know, we meet Emo Phillips as this heavy heavy metal guy. He's got the dog. Nanny girl takes care of the dog. Uh, The first thing that she does is she's heading down to the beach with a couple of guys uh, that include the the one kid from Weird Science. uh, Oh, geez. What's his name? Uh, Elon Mitchell Smith. You remember that kid? Yeah. He's one of the kids. Yeah, Wyatt. Exactly. Yeah. He's one of the kids, and there's another kid who's a, a bit older than him, and also a little sister. And so it's it's the four of them heading down to the beach, uh, where they encounter the absolute worst matte painting of a volcano that you've ever seen in your goddamn life, mm-hmm. uh, because this was shot in Newport Beach, California, where there are no Hawaiian volcanoes. Um, so they see that. You know, they also see an entrance to a cave that they venture into after the dog runs inside of the cave. Um, And, you know, they end up finding the dog, but they get trapped inside the cave when uh, the volcano starts to erupt. And basically like the cave starts crumbling and they, they fall down like a waterfall or something. (sighs) But but this stuff is all very boring at the beginning here. (laughs) Um, And I'm not sure that it gets much better. Um, but by the way, the little sister does get separated from the main group here. She's kind of up by the surface. And so presumably she is going to go for help. Like they tell her, like, go get help. And she leaves the picture at that point. Mm -hmm. I think that's the last we see of her, right? She's in one of the dream sequences later, but yeah, that's the last we actually 
see of her. Um, and yeah, the 80 yard lines where they tell her to go get help are hilarious. Cause like the volcano's going off and like, everybody's like falling down this bottomless pit and then, and it's, you know, all this rumbling and stuff. And then you hear very calm 80 yard voices that are like, go get help, please send help. And then like, but everything's like going crazy around you. It's, it's very funny. Yeah. And, and well, and then, so for the whole movie, you're expecting a cutaway to the surface where it's <laughs> yeah. going to be like her going to find her parents or find a policeman or, or do anything, or even just go enjoy being a little kid that's unsupervised now or something. But, but no, no, she's just gone from the picture now. Uh, but anyhow, now we're in the cave and we're, you know, walking around these cave sets and the sets are all right. I mean, nothing too incredible, kind of gray looking, but there are like some big waterfalls and stuff in these caves that I guess are kind of impressive to think of like, you know, I guess they had to build these waterfalls, you know, most uh, Hollywood studio sets probably don't come with a waterfall pre-installed. So, you know, that's kind of cool, I guess, but yeah, these sets are probably the best like production design part of the movie, I would think, because yeah. Once they get to the center, Atlantis sucks, just like it did last time. Well, I, actually, I disagree with that, but but we'll get to that. But in terms of caves, not bad, but also not that fun. Like, if you look at the 1950s version, that's a fun cave. It's got those colorful giant mushrooms and all this stuff. This is very gray, all of this stuff here. Mm-hmm. So they, yeah. you know, the, it, oh, go ahead. It, yeah, it's very... Like, they could add some color in there for sure. Like the other ones in the other movies, like at least these caves are like sparkly and a little colorful and stuff. But yeah, these are very, very drab. Yeah. So they, they just kind of bumble around these drab looking caves for about 10 minutes and then uh, decide to take a nap. And I'm, you know, I'm watching this thinking, well, that sounds great, but I, I've got the responsibility of having to watch this whole fucking thing. Um, so they take a nap while I stay awake watching this. And what I get for my effort is a couple of dream sequences. Uh, the first dream sequence is from uh, the little boy, the weird science kid. And it's basically a Star Wars, I guess. He's kind of like fighting some Bantha type guys running around doing a Star Wars. And as you mentioned before, like Emo Phillips shows up in like a wide shot for a half second Mm-hmm. Uh, looking more like Emo Phillips, but still very easy to miss because it's just a half second and it's just a wide shot and he doesn't say anything. Um, and overall, this dream is like very weird and not very good, but it's sort of exciting. And probably, honestly, my favorite part of the movie is this two-minute dream sequence that doesn't make any sense and has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. Uh, yeah. And it's followed up. Oh, well, you, you well, like this. Well, yeah, I do like the dream sequence. Um, I what I was thinking when this happens is because like the dream sequences, I think are like they're pretty long. I mean, I think it's like five minutes. There's two of them back to back. One character has a dream, and then another one does. And it's like pretty long. And I was like, okay, so this character is like having a dream of the future of how the movie is going to end. I guess like they're kind of you know telling us what's going to happen in the dream, and maybe this kid's like a psychic or something like that. I guess. And then, like you said, nothing ever happens with it. Like, that's not how the movie ends. We're just showing the kids, like, battling these huge creatures with laser guns. And, like, they 
the little girl's back and Emo Phillips is there and all this crazy stuff. And you expect that to be the movie. Um, because otherwise, why would it be there? Like just this weird, random non sequitur dream. So then when I, after um, watching this movie and being baffled by that, I read that, you know, it's the two different movies. Like they kicked the guy off the one movie and then Albert Pune took over. Um, so I, I think this is just footage from the movie that was scrapped. And they were like, well, we have all this footage. What should we do with it? And they're like, just throw it in. Why not? Just throw it in as a dream. That way we can use this footage and pad out the runtime, even though it makes no sense whatsoever. Because this movie, if you take off the opening and ending credits, it's only about 60 minutes long. So they did have to pad things out quite a bit um, to make this a real movie. And I'm I'm fairly sure that's one of the tricks they used, is to just take this footage that now they had no use for and just make it a dream. Why not? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that is very likely. I mean, it could be footage as you're saying that, that Rusty Lemerand shot. Mm-hmm. It could also just be footage that Albert Pune shot and didn't know what to do with, but it, it doesn't seem like it was supposed to be a dream initially. Yeah. Um, also, I read that weird. Albert Pune took his name off the movie because Golan and Globus added eight minutes worth of footage that Rusty Lemerand shot that Albert Pune didn't want in the movie. So I'm guessing that maybe this dream sequence is that footage. That would make sense. Yeah, I could see that. Um, But it's definitely the better of the two dreams because Mm -hmm. it's got cool looking monster guys that again, never recur in the rest of the runtime, but I guess at least we get to see him for a minute there. But then this next dream, uh, told from the point of view of the British nanny girl, is basically just her sobbing. Like she's just like sitting there crying with the older boy. And she has like a tender moment with him. And there's absolutely no Bantha creatures in it at all. So uh, pretty boring. And then after that, we're, you know, we're back to aimlessly bumbling through darkly lit, all gray sets. And mm-hmm. then um, after some time, they bumble their way into Atlantis, where we get to see pretty much the same exact sets that we saw in the last movie, sets that I like, that I think are kind of cool. You know, it's it's post-apocalyptic type stuff, but it's also got kind of that 80s neon glow to it that I uh, thought was fun. And it's here yeah. that we meet. You're not yeah, into it, though. Well, I, I, maybe I was being a little too harsh when I said it sucked earlier. It's, I, I mean, it's cool. It's definitely where Albert Pune wanted to put the most time at um, in both movies is is these sets. Um, so, yeah, they're fine. I, maybe I was just a little down on them because it's the same sets. Like, it's just very obviously like the same sets that we just saw a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah. So maybe that's why I'm down on them. But, they're, yeah, they're fine. They, I mean, they feel to me akin to the kind of stuff you might see in a in a Frogtown sequel, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Which, One of the know, good Frogtown sequels, not the yeah, later ones where they're just walking around the desert. Of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I would never compare this to a movie that is just a, a rehash of earlier movies, you know? <laughs> yeah, understandable. 
But it is here in Atlantis that we meet a Helena Bonham Carter type gothic witch kind of a lady uh, who tells them that they are in fact at the center of the earth, which I don't think one of these Atlanteans would say. Like, I don't, based on what we know from the prior movie, I don't even know that they know that they're in the center of the earth. Like, they're they're aliens who crash landed and ended up down there. Like, I thought that they just thought that's what the planet was. I, I don't know. So yeah. she was weird. And also, I was really confused because for a long time watching this, I thought that I was I thought that they were going to reveal that this like gothic witch type lady was Kathy Ireland in gothic witch type lady drag, but they never reveal that. And I guess that's not the case, despite me kind of seeing a a resemblance in some scenes of like, if Kathy Ireland like scrunched up her face and tried to look like a weird looking witch lady, she could probably pull this off. Did you get that feeling or, or am I completely alone in that? Uh, well, yeah, I knew that Kathy Ireland's like second top build. So I was watching out for her. So I did kind of feel like, yeah, maybe, yeah, that she would be down here and that she would be that character for like a second. But then I, I didn't really care enough to like keep thinking that, I guess. I was just like, yeah, <laughs> like let's just let this movie end, I guess. Cause um, it, it, it would kind of make sense that like her character, you know, who is hiding from this Atlantean government that she would adopt like a disguise like this. And then it would make mm-hmm. sense that she would then be helpful to the other humans from the surface. Like otherwise, like who is this character? Why is she the only Atlantean that is pro surface dweller? And like what fucking role, like none of it makes any sense, dude. Yeah. I wonder if that was originally going to be the case where like she would you know, pull off a fake mask and it would be Kathy Ireland or something because there's a lot of like talk about Kathy Ireland. Like there's like a weird robot of her and like pictures of her everywhere and stuff. But then when we get to actual Kathy Ireland, she's on TV for like half of a second. And I think that's like, Maybe they just used footage from like her screen test or something from the other movie because all that happens is that like they show her on TV for one second and she just like nods and smiles and that's it. They cut away. So, so yeah, so I have to imagine that maybe they had bigger plans for her at some point, but then couldn't afford her for two movies or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's weird. But but I but then you wonder it's like if if you quote unquote, put Kathy Ireland in this movie in terms of like, she does have, I guess, one second of screen time on a TV and she is credited like prominently. Does she then get paid like, uh, like as if she had done any work on this movie? Like, I don't know. It, it seems like a bad value to me. If, if I'm Golan Globus, notorious cheapskates, I'm not paying an actress who doesn't even show up to set. Yeah. I wonder like, I, yeah, it's, I mean, maybe if by saying that this is an actual sequel to the first movie, maybe there's some sort of loophole there where you don't actually have to pay her twice or something. Like maybe that. Oh yeah, is how I could see away that. With it. Yeah, I could see that yeah. for sure. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, it is definitely weird. Anyhow, we then meet up with some of the other Atlantean characters that we met last time, including the German professor guy, who I noted this time is played by an actor named Lochner de Kock. 
Lochner mm-hmm. D. Cock is his yep. name. It's kind of a cool name. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a lady with a hairy eye patch who I don't remember from the first movie, but I, I'm looking it up now and it looks like she was in that first movie. In fact, that actress played three different roles in Alien from L.A., including this role with the hairy eye patch. But yeah, she's back. And yeah. all- I like I like her because at one point they do like an extreme close up on her and she's like screaming and the eye patch like comes a little loose and you can just see her eye underneath the eye patch. Like there's no reason for her to be wearing an eye patch because she has a, a, a full eyeball underneath it. And it's like a, a, I just found it to be a funny mistake in the movie. Well, I mean, maybe they were trying to make us giggle. Let's let's give Rusty Lamarand and Albert Pune the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they okay. maybe they knew that that's what they were uh, revealing to us. But okay. I kind kind of doubt it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I do know is that uh, the plot at this point starts to re- revolve around these human experiments that they're doing where they're basically trying to like mad science surgery, some other Atlanteans into looking and acting like Kathy Ireland. Uh, And and they end up with some very grotesque results. And so of course the British nanny girl from the surface starts to lead a revolution of these fake Kathy Ireland's. But not for long, because then the movie just suddenly ends. At mm-hmm. 70 minutes in, it turns into a highlights reel sort of montage. <laughs> yep. And then it gives you credits. And honestly, I did not care enough to go back five minutes to see if I somehow zoned out and missed something that explained to me why the movie was ending. Uh, but from my point of view, I'm just watching it thinking like, well, there's got to be at least 10, 15 minutes of like wrap up coming, right? Because like still mid plot. Like there's no resolution to anything. Everybody's still underground. Uh, these clones have not revolted. We haven't seen Kathy Ireland. I'm actually still thinking that emo Phillips is going to come back at this point. Mm-hmm. No, like none. And we haven't seen that little girl that ran away. Gertrude, the goose has not made an appearance. There's not been an underground King Kong. I guess they did have clones. So in, in that way, this maybe is paying tribute to the uh, Juan Piquer Simone Spanish film. But yeah, it, it just fucking ends. And I'm like, what the hell? Um, so overall, <laughs> this movie sucked real bad. Um, <laughs> it could have been, I think, a lot more watchable with three likable leads in this movie. And I do like the weird science kid in weird science. Mm-hmm. But I think he's kind of hit his awkward older phase here and is not as charming. And then the other two are just pretty charismaless. So, I mean, even if Kathy Ireland is not a good actress in the least, she did at least have some charisma going for her in that last movie as the lead. And without her in this, we're really just kind of struggling to connect with these adventurers. And on top of that, this doesn't really add anything very new to the mythos. And a lot of it is just super boring in a way that made me appreciate alien from LA even more. Uh, I think you could maybe re-edit this into a somewhat decent 30 minute watch if I'm being generous, but I, I stress somewhat decent, even then it's going to be pretty, 
pretty boring. Um, but what did you think, Bowman? And and by the way, sorry for the accidental Britishness of this one. That that kind of took me by surprise. <laughs> I was also surprised by that. Um, yeah, it is. It's it's a weird, weird movie because much like Spookies, which uh, is another movie that was like a movie, and then it was you know they handed it over to somebody else, and they're like, "You finish it." So it's like kind of two halves of a movie. Um, this is very clearly, or what seemingly very clearly, two halves too. Like the beginning part seems like Rusty Lemoran's movie, where it's like very dry and boring but there's an identifiable structure to it you know it's like these people on vacation they fall into the volcano it seems very much like the other adaptations we've seen um not very much but i mean it follows that sort of same structure but it's a little bit different in how they get there like nobody's a scientist or anything like that and so all of that stuff seems like a real movie a very bland and boring one but a real movie and then like then they get to Atlantis and then Albert Pune takes over and there's more energy to it, but nothing makes sense anymore. It's all incomprehensible uh, nonsense and flashing lights. And it's like a real interesting study. And like, what kind of movie do you want, you know, in life? Like, do you want, would you prefer the boring structured thing that seems like a real movie or do you want this weird chaos that is horrible and hurts all of your senses um so that's kind of interesting and i'm and both of them are terrible so i'm glad that they put them together here and it kind of makes this a little bit more watchable because either too much of either one would have been terrible i guess but um but it, it is nice to see wyatt he's my second favorite wyatt of weird science because i like tv show wyatt better uh, but it's still nice to see him. Um, I This movie is, I feel like, equally as bad as the first one. Um, because it's like pretty much, I mean, they're pretty similar. Like the Atlanta stuff is like pretty similar. And, and it's nonsensical attempt at being a movie. But at least this one has like the the kind of interesting meta-ness that it's two movies cobbled together. And so most of the fun I had watching this movie was trying to figure that out. Like, um, I mean, and I guess most of it came in hindsight because I didn't know it was two movies until after watching it and then going to Wikipedia. But the fun of this movie now in, in retrospect is being like, okay, so those dream sequences in the original cut of this movie, I guess like those monsters would have been the bad guys and like, Emo Phillips would have come down to the center of the earth somehow with them. And which is probably why he's top build. He probably had a very important role in this movie at one point. And so he probably had it in his contract that he had to be top build because he was going to be the star before getting cut, cut out. Um, it's like that stuff's interesting to me. That's why I think that this movie's ever so slightly better than the first one. Cause at least this one's, you can think about it in the first one. It's just like, eh, this is stupid. There's nothing to think about here, except for Tom Matthews' muscles. Um, and it's also kind of like the prototypical Dustin Ferguson movie in that there's like 15 minutes of credits 
in the 75 minute movie and about 60 minutes worth of movie. Um, so and a goddamn highlight reel at the end. That highlight reel is wild. Cause you would think <laughs> like a lot of movies use that highlight reel type thing to pad out their runtime, but they do it over like credits, you know, like they'll be like, it'll be like Kathy Ireland and then it'll show all her highlights, you know, and Wyatt from weird science and it'll show his highlights, but they don't even do that. Like they just show the highlights. Like, you really don't even like, there's nothing really even to tell you that the movie has ended. Like they just start showing clips from beforehand in the movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there is like a rockin' eighties, you know, guitar rock song underneath it that at least lets you know that you're watching a montage. But I, at first I was thinking like, is this just a montage in the middle of the movie for no reason? Cause yeah, yeah that, there's no text or anything. Yeah. And I mean, it very well could have been because there's that montage dream sequence earlier where it's just, uh, you know, a bunch of random stuff. So, um, and like you said, the movie ends so abruptly, like it seems like they're about to do something that would constitute a climax and then it just smash cuts and then they're back on earth and then that's it. (laughs) It's just over. Well, but it's not even that they're back on earth. It's, the one guy, right? It's just like one mm-hmm. of the guys is watching TV and it, and it's presented with like so little context. I was so confused at the end of this movie, man. Like it, we've watched a lot of movies on this show, but I feel like this one pays maybe the least respect to like narrative convention. It really, this is like one of the biggest messes that we've seen. Yeah, definitely. Uh, most of what happens in this movie, I learned from you just just now yeah. <laughs> talking about it. Um, well, and, and, and that's only because I was up all night with my bifocals and notebook, you know? <laughs> okay. Now it makes sense. Um, yeah, it's, it is wild. And all Albert Pune had to do was like maybe 30 minutes of narrative. Um, and I mean, that's under the, I think – the assumption that I'm fairly sure is correct is that in that Lim- Rusty Limerand made all the Hawaii stuff, like everything before Atlantis is probably Rusty Limerand. So all Albert Pune had to do was the Atlantis stuff and cobble some sort of narrative of what happens to these people when they're in Atlantis. And he fails miserably to come up with half an hour of story. And in fact, like the three leads kind of disappear once they get to Atlantis. Like he sort of just starts over. <laughs> in terms of the movie once you get to that point like they're kind of like wandering around in the background and stuff but yeah largely if you forgotten. look at this from like canon films perspective they got a bad deal because like albert pune is like yeah i'll finish this movie if you let me make my own i don't know that he finished this movie i, I think <laughs> his concern was just making alien from la and then he's like i'll use my outtakes from that to just pad out this piece of shit yeah i think so i i think that's what happened, which is probably why Alien from LA got released first because it was more. Yeah. It was a movie, more so. I mean, kind of. Um, and I think probably to this day is the better known film. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. this one probably suffers from the fact that the title just get, kind of gets lost in the shuffle with every other adaptation and Alien from LA stands out. But, uh, you know, Bowman aside, I, I think Alien from LA probably has more fans than this one. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Um, definitely true. Definitely true. Um, and I mean, part of that might just be because this is probably buried. Like, I can't imagine that this 
This is probably not even on like DVD. It's on Tubi. But I'd be surprised if this had any sort of like release. Torres Alien from LA, I think there's, there might even be a Blu-ray of that. Like yeah, it's, it's got a nice Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, so part of it might just be that that got pushed out a little bit more. Um, you know, regardless of quality. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, maybe that one's like, I mean, because that one is like a full vision, maybe it's like a better movie or more e- easy to get into or something. Cause yeah, this one, because it's two halves just feels weird. So, um, so yeah, it's pretty, pretty bad film, but it's interesting. I don't know. It makes me think about spookies and I, that's fun, I guess. Yeah. I mean, anything that makes you think about spookies can't be completely bad, right? True. That is true. Except for this movie, which is, it's pretty much completely bad. And I, <laughs> yeah. I would urge our listeners to skip this one. Uh, if if you're going to pick any of the two, my money's on Alien from L.A. To be honest, you probably could just skip both of them. But I, I kind of liked Alien from L.A. I, I don't know. Um, before we leave this film, though, I, I did want to just reveal a few bits of interesting info that I found on Wikipedia. Um First of all, although not credited, the score for this film is from George Clinton, uh, who Hmm. scored two other canon movies, Avenging Force and American Ninja 2. And in an effort to save money, they just reused his scores. They they chopped him up and put him in this. Now, it's not the George Clinton, but it is a George Clinton. The man's name is George Clinton. That is his legal birth name, so... Don't hold it against him, but not from Funkadelic, uh, just a a different guy. Um, And then in terms of the actors in this, you know, I I was real bored watching this. I I don't think you can, I don't think you can hold that against me. Uh, You know, I I think I'm well within my rights to be bored while watching this. And Mm -hmm. so I went over to Wikipedia and I was, you know, clicking around on these actors that are involved in this film. And I noticed Three of the actors, the main three actors in this, have kind of interesting life stories or personal life sections on Wikipedia. So I thought I would um, highlight uh, what I found here in in these personal life sections. So starting with uh, actor Paul Carafotes, Paul Carafotes, I don't know how how the hell you say this guy's name, but he played Richard in this. And um, it says on his Wikipedia page, in 2019, Paul alleged that he was the mystery man that Demi Moore slept with the night before her marriage to Freddie Moore in 1981, as detailed in her memoir, Inside Out. It's kind of exciting, right? Very exciting. Very scandalous. Yeah. And and he's spilling beans on that, you know, uh, in 2019 like 40 years later or whatever. Um, some more dirt. Nicola Cowper, who plays the British nanny Christina in this, uh, her Wikipedia personal life section says a pretty interesting thing. So um, Cowper is the younger sister of twin actresses, Jackie Cowper and Jerry Cowper. Uh, she was in a long-term relationship with Tony McCann, a convicted armed robber who served a 15-year jail sentence for holding up a Lloyd's Bank and stealing 9,000 pounds in 1988, which, by the way, 9,000 pounds doesn't sound like that much money. Yeah. 
But what's interesting is her older sister, Jerry, also fell in love with and married McCann's accomplice in that robbery, a guy named Mark Foley. Um, It's kind of weird that her sister and her would both fall in love with these bank robbers. And then she would go on to have twin daughters of her own born with this bank robber guy, McCann. Um, I guess they live in Twickenham, these kids together with her mother. Uh, But in April 2008, McCann was found guilty of murdering a 33-year-old man and sentenced to a minimum of 21 years imprisonment. He died of, of liver and kidney cancer in prison in 2020. So a, a life of crime for, for the McCann clan, I guess, and kind of weird that the Cowper clan got mixed up with them. Kind of scandalous. But maybe the biggest <laughs> scandal of all, and I couldn't believe this, on the Wikipedia page for Elon Mitchell Smith, the kid from Weird Science, it says in his personal life, he is an active tabletop gamer and an organizer of tabletop game events in Southern California. Oh, okay. Maybe the most scandalous thing of all. I like it. I hope to one day play a game of Warhammer with him. Yeah. I'm going to scope out ask, all the shops. Ask him what the fuck this dream sequence in this movie was all about. <laughs> How is this original movie supposed to go? Please tell me. Yeah. Well, that's all I had on the very scandalous lives of these actors in this movie. A movie that, again, I don't recommend that you watch, but but we watched it for you so that you didn't have to. That's what we're here for. Yeah. That's what we do week after week. Yeah. Uh, well, next week we're going to be watching a movie. A movie that I think everybody should watch. Probably everybody who listens to this has watched it, I would think. Uh, oh, a, do we want to give more hints? Um, it's a movie that is a classic. If you were 12 in the year 1993, I guess maybe it's a very specific window that maybe you may have seen this movie. If you were an adolescent kid in the early 90s, this is one of your favorite movies probably. At least that's the case for me. And many We're not reviewing know. Fatal Instinct finally, are we? Close. You're very close. You want to take a Silence of the Hams? No. It's Is the, it Loaded uh, Weapon? It's Loaded Weapon 1. National oh, Lampoon's man. Loaded Weapon 1. The highest quality of those three movies that you just mentioned. Loaded Weapon um, 1 is very good. It's been on my list for a million years. And then we were kind of talking about it in the Discord. And I was like, all right, maybe it's moved up. And then after being promised Kathy Ireland this week and not getting any Kathy Ireland, we got to do a Kathy Ireland movie. So National yeah. Anthem's Loaded Weapon 1. Man, if, if we're not careful, Kathy Ireland's going to be on the top of my letterboxed most watched actors list at the end of the year. I hope so. I hope so. Uh, this movie's on Tubi TV for free and other places you can rent it if you're interested in that. But... Um, this is a classic film. I'm very excited to finally talk about this. Likewise. Um, I, you know, as we'll talk about next week, I was a huge fan of this as a kid, but I have not seen this since I was a kid. I was was probably 15 years old or something. Last time I saw this, whenever they stopped playing it on comedy central or whatever, you know, that's, that was my last, uh, rendezvous with this movie. Yeah. 
that's the time when we all grew up into manhood is when <laughs> we had we were forced to grow up because Comedy Central stopped playing this movie every day. Yeah, we had to put behind hilarious things, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was one of them. Uh, well, I look forward to that. Um, I guess in between now and then, uh, you guys listening can do all of the things that you can always do, you know? Um, you don't have to do these between episodes of Junk Food Supper. You could do them whenever, you know, which include going to junkfooddinner.com. Uh, it includes going to patreon.com slash junkfooddinner, uh, where we will accept your donations in exchange for tons and tons of Twin Peaks content and mm-hmm. a little bit of other stuff too. You know, we're, we're talking about other stuff on the Patreon, but man, we've been reviewing Twin Peaks like nobody's business. Like nobody's ever reviewed that show before. We're probably the only podcast that's ever talked about Twin Peaks. True. Certainly the best podcast to ever do it. In case anybody else else ever did, we're better than them. Yeah, I mean, we've got uh, Andrew Dice Clay clips. We've got uh, theme songs and, and, and mm-hmm. so forth. We've got all the things that you would want in a podcast about Twin Peaks. Yeah. We've got Long. one guy that's seen the show but doesn't remember it, and another guy that has never seen the show before. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we got extra added... Uh, reviews of david lynch's books sometimes stuff like that well that's that's what you claim but i'm not sure that i've ever heard that no i read it i told you about it i i I remember a a a blank air no i read all my favorite passages from the book okay well like the one where he talks about how he likes mahogany and other kinds of woods now I feel like I need to sign up for the Patreon because I, I gotta find out how this mahogany wood inspired his decision to put Josie into the wooden dresser drawer. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, spoiler alert. Two episodes later, nobody makes any mention of that. Oh, well, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how, how important, <laughs> how critical this, uh, this plot line becomes in the remaining three episodes of the show. I'm guessing zero zero importance but speaking of remaining episodes i don't think any more of this episode remains so mm-hmm. until next time this is your friend send byro for your other friend per keeping town bowman saying keep washing them dishes all right i'll take it